Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Eric, um, so much to get through tonight, but uh, you were born a couple of years after the First World War yes. in Shoreditch, East London. Uh, tell us about, well, Shoreditch is a very different place now than it used to be. Tell us about growing up. Well, I grew up in the East End. Uh, I'm a proper Cockney, you know, because the Bow Bell shtick. Um, I don't remember too much about growing up. I know that we lived... I mean, my favourite story about growing up is, is a word I use a lot is a word called bubbler. You know, it's an old Yiddish word. Yeah. And, and it's amazing because my mum rests her monster, monster soul, Eva. I remember the first time I come with that word. I'm going to school. I'm seven years old or whatever it is, five years old. And she's walking me down Bethel Green Road towards my school, which was in Mansford Street. Or I think it was Mansford Street, the Lawrence. And she's, and I don't want to go to school. I don't, you know, no kid wants to go to school. And I'm saying, Mummy, Mummy, please don't let me go to school, Mummy. She says, Bubbala, Bubbala, you have to go to school. It's, you know, uh, if it was up to me, Bubbala, you'd be at home every day for the next 93 years. But it's the law of the land. You go, but Mummy, Bubbala, I don't want to go to school, please, Mummy. Bubbala, you have to go, Bubbala. You'll make friends there, Bubbala. You'll, you'll, you'll learn things. You'll love it. And she gets to the gate of the school. She takes me in. And I'm still crying. Bubbala, please, please don't cry. I'll be here when you come, come out. I think she stayed all day because I come out of school that day and she's still there. Or she was there, probably, you know, or showed up. She said, well, Bubbler, was was I right? Oh, she says, you're right, Mummy. I love school. She said, and, and did you learn anything? I said, yeah, I learned my name was Eric. Because <laughs> she called me Bubbler. <laughs> I've used it ever since. What did your dad do? My dad was originally a presser, a Hoffman presser, which was sort of a very Jewishy thing to do. Not that he was Jewish, he'd become more Jewish mm-hmm. than me. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, he wasn't a, he wasn't a Yiddish man. Um, and they went on the knowledge, which a lot of those guys did, and he's a cab driver for many, many years, many years. And what were your interests in as a youngster, let's say, you know, from school through to teenage, what were you interested in, music, sport? What were your interests, Eric? Movies, acting, love it. I went to acting school for a little while. Did you? I was in actually the original Oliver and the original Blitz, Lionel Bart, friend of the family. Family, you know, got me in it. I was a terrible actor, mm-hmm. terrible actor. But uh, no, I loved it. I loved the old movies, the Betty David. I still do now, you know. So I love movies and entertainment. I love showbiz. And is that where you got your taste for showbiz? You think? Probably, yeah. Must have been. Must yeah. have been. It's just like, you know, I love that world and I love songs. Always love songs. You know, where people talk about 
artists, Johnny Ray in those days, or, or Dennis Lotus, or Dickie Valentine, or it might be the 50s, the Joe Regans, the Joe Stafford, the Doris Days. But I was loved them, loved them. But I was interested in who actually wrote that song, which I try and do in my radio shows. It's always named Jack, mm-hmm. the writers. Because, you know, if you read a book, uh, uh, you know, uh, Oliver Twist, and that's Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens, you know, or whatever it may be. So I believe it's important that when you play a record or a song, you say, you don't just say that was uh, As Long As He Needs Me, As Long As He Needs Me by Shirley Bassey, written by Lionel Bar. Or Johnny Mercer. Or, or Johnny Mercer uh, or Irving Berlin. Have you tried to write Myra. a song yourself, Eric? What? Have you ever tried to write a song yourself? Yes. Was it very successful? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, you you also got to know, and I don't know if this is one of the bridges into into the world that you eventually you left school and, and got into the music business, you got to know Mark Boland very early in your life. The, the, the I, singer of T-Rex, genius, of course. I first met Mark Boland when he was probably 13. Mark Feld, ages. as he was. Mark Feld. In, in, yeah. We used to go to a place. In, I, I then moved from the East End, and we got went into a, moved to a council flats in Stanford Hill, which you probably a lot of the listeners will know I'm talking about, about, about the progression in those days. I mean, my mum had more moves than the dartboard. I mean, you know, uh, she was everywhere. So I always go to a place called the Stip House in Stanford Hill. Now the Stip House was an amusement arcade, and it's Mark Bone who named it the Stip House because you put money in machines and you done the machines and the this machine that machine some machines you won a few quid back or a few in those days a few pence back. But Stip is a Yiddish word means to take. You know. Stip him, give him a few yeah. quick, take a stip. So, from the amusement arcade, Mark Bowden, with his creative mind, even at those days, at 13, you say, Eric, we meet, we're going to the, some dance hall in, in St John's Wood. You know, I've got a bus of 253 or then, in those days, of 653, and we meet at the stip house. So, but uh, yeah, I was Mark Bowden's friend when we were both about 13 years old. Okay, well, same that's... ages. Killer Queen, of course, by Queen. A song, Eric, you believe is about you. Well, I don't believe. I know it's about me. Ah. I know it's about me. I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes, Bubbler, because I tell the whole story how this happened. we just come off some hit record with the Queen. Yep. Um, I found out something, something very briefly on TV. Again, not Killer Queen, but they showed the, all the nation's favourite Queen record. Yep. And again, there were three records that I personally promoted were in that in those of course Bohemian Rhapsody was number one mm-hmm. and then Seven Seas the Right people forget about which I promoted and people forget I got them on their first ever Top of the Pops Seven Seas the Right because there was a strike and of course Killer Queen so Killer Queen what happened there was a very simple story I'm in my office one day and Freddie Mercury walks into my office with a guy called Malcolm Gray I think his name was his hairdresser well he said it was his hairdresser <laughs> right and he walks in and he said oh, oh Eric my dear my dear you want to hear a, a new single we've got that new record well, Ever the one before that was. They put the old Ewan machine on the old days, you know, being your days of the enemy. They stick the thing on there and they twisted the thing, push the button, and it comes, he gives no wish and on. And hair like Mary Antoinette. Love it. Finishes, I said, Freddie Bubbler, love it, love it, monster, monster hit. No, no, you're not listening. I said, I am, I love it. No, you're not listening. I said, all right. Put it on again. What's we talking about? Have another let's put it on the same shtick with the machine, the tapes going on. And, uh, same lyric again, same song, of course. I said, no, I love it. What's why do I have to play again? He said, it's about you. I said, what about me? What do you mean? Now, before I tell you what he meant, because it was a known fact people in the business those days, he, now you won't believe it now, 
he, he was mad in love with me. He fancied me like crazy. They can never have me because I wasn't into that. I don't knock anybody who is into that. Good luck to him. Good luck to him. But I wasn't. And he said to me, I can't have you. And you're killing me, Freddie Talking. You're killing me, and I can't have you. So you're a killer queen. And the words were, he keeps Moe Shand on his fancy cabinet, which I didn't realise. Which I didn't realise, which I did at EMI. Everybody who walked in could be an unknown band or Cliff Richard Out or McCartney. Kiss, kiss, champagne. Louise, Louise. I said, we get the champagne open, blah, blah. And then uh, hair like Mary Antoinette, because if you see some old pictures of mine, which in my book, which I wrote quite a few years ago, I, I permed there. I wouldn't believe it, I permed there. I've got Marley hair now. Um, and I used to always now splash on so many, about four different, Aramis, Schmaramis, and uh, Brute, Schmoot, whatever. I plugged everything. My, I smelled like, and it smelled like a, whatever it's, that word was. Yeah. And the lyric was about me. Everything that lyric said was very cool. And, my, and I, I moved to, in those years, in the EMI years, for some reason, about five, six different places. And I think one of the lyrics relates to, you know, moving around and never at the same address. Okay, well, look, that, that's when your time, when you were a really big wheel in the music industry at EMI. Tell us about, the, than that. Tell us about the huge wheel, Grand Fromage. Tell us about the early days when you worked in and around Denmark Street, which then was the Britain's Tim Pan Alley. There. There, it's a street for those who are not familiar. A little street in central London um, by Tottenham Court Road Station, which housed all of the British music industry. And you were right at the centre of that uh, in, 20, the, in the early 60s. 20 Denmark Street, Mills Music 20 Denmark Street. My very good family friend, a man called Tommy Scott, who went on to become a monster producer with Van Morrison and, and or you know, when we produced mm-hmm. them and wrote their songs. Um, he got me a job through a family connection and I started my first 15, left school at 15, I hated school, I thought, get, get away from school. And in those days, you could leave school at 15. So my first job was at Mills Music, a, a, a T-boy. You know, they say, they say, you know, an office boy. Yeah. But T-boy. There was two T-boys, in actual fact. Me and a little boy called Reg, Wash Dwight, who then had become, eventually, Elton John. Elton John. So me yeah. and Reg started together, similar ages. I think he's a few months older than me. He looks it anyway. He looks mm-hmm. much older than me, but he's a few months older than me. And we started together packing parcels and things, and, and that was my first job. I loved it. Because Denmark Street in those days, I'm going back, you know, work out. I was born in 47, so I'm 15. But there you... was there was Perry Como from America looking for. Because that's where, as you quite rightly said, Danny Bobler, it was all the publishers. It was pretty, in this day and age, right, artists write their own songs. But in those days, they went out looking like tailors. They went out looking for songs. So there was Dickie Valentine, there was Patty Page, there was Alma Cogan, rest of Soul. But it's also the start of what what became the huge. I mean, I remember the Rolling Stones, if I understand it, they recorded their first single in a little basement studio in Denmark Street. Regent you, Sound or either Central Sound, maybe. Absolutely. And yeah. you, uh, you know, David Bowie always tells he got the idea for Ziggy Stardust when he bumped into. Um, oh, forgive me, I, I can't remember the, but the, it was a big rock star. Vince Taylor, uh, Vince Taylor in, in, in the street, uh, and he said he, and Vince was a bit out of his mind, and he thought, "Oh, I could do this as a character," and all the rest of it, you know. Um, there was it was a big going on, but well, I met I met David Bowie again mm-hmm. when he was David Jones. When you got up into the, uh, the bigger companies, me and I was the, about the biggest company in this country, wasn't that big building down in Soho? The pictures of the Beatles hanging out of the, uh, I mean. Uh, tell us what you're you were a promoter you were a plugger what were you actually doing with your days Eric well I, I, I was a plugger you know, in those days I was I was. what occurred was just pre-EMI because mm-hmm. it's relative to your story yes I went to work for a man called Don Arden 
who I got a call from David on and his son saying, Eric, you know, uh, Jet, we're starting this label, Jet Records, and we just re-signed the move. And, and, and legendary manager Don Arden, of course. Oh, the Al Capone uh, pop that was his fa- father, father of uh, of um, of Sharon Osbourne, of Sharon, Osborne, Sharon Osborne, Arden, you. then obviously Sharon Osbourne, who was all the nutter. Yeah, the she, Al- used to, yeah. she used to what she used to do, Sharon Osbourne or Sharon Arden those days. She used to all she did was come in, do her nails and that sort of thing they use like girls, nail file, you know, yeah, yeah, doing the, no the like rub the suede one. All she did was she buffed, she buffed all day. She buffed. She <laughs> used to answer the phones. She just you know she put the old things you sort of plug in the old phones on the switchboard, and it was uh, uh hello, uh, Jack Record or Don Arden, uh, can I speak to whoever. Danny Kelly. Yeah. Who is it for him, Danny Kelly? Now, she wouldn't be like, you're getting this down age. Can I help you? she put you through. But as you put through, I'd sit with her, like lunchtime with my sandwiches, and I'd sit there and she'd go to me, shh, be quiet, Eric. She'd listen to everybody's conversation. she listened to everybody's conversation, Sharon Arden, Sharon Osborne. Oh. She loved it. So you're working for Don Arden at I Jet? I work for Don Arden at Jet, and we've done re-signed the moves, I said. I think the first single we had out on the re-signing was a single, I'll be over tonight. I'll be, you might remember it. It's called Tonight. Which was the biggest tonight we called yeah. tonight big hit which are mine then we signed a band called Judas Jump mm-hmm. with Andy Bowne and, and, and Adrian Winners then Adrian Winners become gets the point so I've done Monster Monster World there Monster World having hits every day I was known as the King Plugger I was the Paul Gascoigne of Plugger I was the Governor Plugger uh, and then uh, I got let, me, let me ask you when I worked Many years after that, Radio 1, there were still pluggers. They were pretty polite people. You used to wait outside the door for you to arrive, and they would hand you the new record and say, please play this, please play this. Um, people tell me that in the 10 years before that, when you were doing it, um, there were all kinds of inducements to get people to play records. How hard was it to do your job, and did you ever have to uh, offer people money or anything else to play the records? Well, no, I used to strokes. And, like, I remember I tried to get a, a funny thing to move... Uh, Roy Wood came a few years later he had a record out called I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day mm. Wizard and I was desperate to get I had Top of the Pops lined up which you done on a Wednesday went out on a Thursday and I had a show called in those days you'll remember it a lot of listeners will too Supersonic yeah. which used to record again went out on the Saturday night and I needed one of the best plugs you could get weekend plugs was Family Favourites Family Favourites and Jack Dabbs, who was then the producer of Family Favourites, I think he passed away. If he did, you know, I'm not too upset about him. I went, phoned his appointment at Exton House, next to BH, Exton House, and I got to see, make an appointment. So I go, I said, I must see Jack. I'm going to I thought, Eric, get your timing right. Top of the pots, supersonic, Sunday, Family Favourites, monster hit. I said, yeah, I'll give you an appointment, Eric. Eric, yeah, you can see Jack on January the 9th. I said, no, no. <laughs> Are you mad? January the 9th? <laughs> I said, no way. A bit like Freddie Mercury, she fancied me too. I said, Bob, I'll make it worth your while. I gave her a part of your question. Mm-hmm. I gave her a few quid, not to get the record played, but to bring the appointment right. you know, forward. Because no good judgment. So she put me in about the week later, beginning of December or whatever. So I'll get to Exton House to see Jack Dad, and he ain't there. I said, I've got an appointment. She, I know she's about Eric, so, so I should have phoned you. Uh, got to cancel the appointment. He's taken his nephew or somebody to see Father Christmas. So I said, mm, Father Christmas, I should be here. I've got this record. Well, no, but he can see you maybe after he comes and see him after Christmas. I think, but Bob, like I'm telling you, I've, you know, I wish it could be Christmas every day. It's a Christmas record. Uh, you know, the Christmas record. <laughs> so I said, where's he gone? She told me, I think, all the Croydon. I don't remember that name. 
So I went, I knew him, he knew he was Big quite mean. Big department store, yeah. Monster department store. Then he was quite mean. I thought, no way. How long ago I left? About 10 minutes ago. So I run down, get a cab in, in Region 3, or wherever it was, in by BH and Lexington Health. Take me towards the Croydon. I get towards the Croydon, and then I go right to the father. Christmas proto stick, and um, so I know he's going to take his nephew there. Yeah. I said to the guy, "Listen, do me a favour. Give you a few quid money again. I'll give you a few quid. Can I borrow your cloak and your beard and things and whatever? <laughs> I'll give him about fifty quid. Now, fifty quid in those days. Fifty quid in those days. Probably the whole three weeks of his father Christmas money. Yeah. So of course he did it. So I put it there. I said, I don't need now. I look through the sort of little curtain. When I saw Jack arrive, his little boy, because again, I've different days today, couldn't do it today because he quite rightly mm-hmm. so. Yeah. The boy went in on his own. Yes. To sit on Father Christmas lap. So as soon as I see the boy coming in, I put the thing on and the boy comes in, his nephew sits on my lap. And what do you want for Christmas? I thought, you call him Bubba. Oh, no, don't call him Bubba. Because he's a Jewish father for Christmas. So the guy, I say to the kids, what do you want? Oh, I want a electric, I want a schmectric, whatever you want in. I said, yes, you'll get all that one condition. You see this record? You give that to that man and you say he's got to play it. He must play it. I said, and then said to Mr. Nasty, but if you don't, you don't do that, you'll get nothing. You'll get more. You'll get more. And he did it. He gave it to his, get back to the office. Of course, he calls wife me, Jack Dave. And he said, was that, that was you, wasn't it? I said, yes, it had to be you. He said, I'll tell you what, I can't believe you made my nephew cry. You made him cry. He said, but I got a, and again, I didn't know he knew Jewish words. Uh-huh. He said, but he said, because of your chutzpah, which means your cheek, I'll put the record on Sunday. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I guess uh, Eric Hall, um, during the early 70s, right through to the mid-70s, Led Zeppelin may have been the biggest rock band in the world, but uh, just T-Rex were the biggest pop group. Um, and you, as we talked about earlier in the show, you uh, not only did you work with Mark Bolin, but you were a childhood friend of his. Um, so you had good relations with a lot of these artists, but with Mark, I guess it was some, somewhat deeper, wasn't it? Because he really was your chum. Well, we grew up together. As I said, I met Mark Bolin when he was... Um 
a 13-year-old boy in Stanford Hill, the Stippels, uh, the amusement arcade, we mm-hmm. called it the Stippels. But he also, even then, he was going to be a star. I think it was a manic magazine called Tattlers. And as a 13, 14-year-old boy, he was on the front cover, modelling, you know, and he was, he, everybody in Stanford Hill knew, because he, he, his mum and dad must have all 300 magazines and give it to everybody they knew. So, and he used to, you know, so he always was that way inclined to be somebody, he wasn't just a young boy friend, a nice Yiddish boy. Um, my mate for you. I miss him a lot. That's a fact. I was with him and two hours before he got killed. I mean, as you say, he was still a massive, massive star in September of 1977. He had his own TV show, of course, going then. And people often forget that Mark Bolan was one of the very first people who insisted all the punk rock bands went on his TV program. They were on, they were on his program and all the rest of it. Um, September 77. Obviously, at the very height of his career, he was killed. You were with him that night. Well, going back to you talking about his series, Mark Time. Uh, we didn't fall out over that, but I there was a Granada TV. Used to, I think it was either a Wednesday or a Thursday night. They used to call it their, their kids' pop spot. Yeah. And they had, I think, the Bay City Rollers did the pop spot originally. Then it was a, a, a group called whoever it was, uh, Arrows. Yeah. You might remember the old yeah, band yeah. of mine, Rack Records, and that's uh, the Rollers. And then Muriel Young phoned me. She said, Eric, I need your help. I've heard of... Um, we, we, um, Bay City Rollers are so big, they can't do it anymore. You know, the quite rightly so mm-hmm. so I said Mark Bolan she Eric great idea but I heard that he's back from America I've been away for a couple of years and he's like you know very very large he's put a lot a lot of weight on and everything I think I know but probably be put guarantee you if you give him that spot I said I will put him on a health farm and dad and them and we'll do everything we get and when we don't shoot for about another three months I will get and I did you know we did all that but now we've got the show she saw him she loved him and she's slim as, as he was in that Mark time mm-hmm. show and we had like all those the Clash the Smash and everybody the Clash the Damber on it the, the Damber yeah, you know everybody it, yeah. and finally the last the most famous I've jumped forward on the story was when we've got David Bowie on with him we've got old mate of mine as David Jones the old Denmark three days and also his monster mate he did it and the funny thing was Mark fell off stage if you ever see that clip but just to go back pre that so I said Mark we got the show I said great and suddenly he felt that stardom back again he went great well I want to do uh, I want to get all these new bands on I said to Mark Mark let's just be thankful we got the show let the producer produce the acts we can just you know no I'll only do it after I work my butt off getting the show begging Muriel Young begged her to put it, make him he, no I said we've got like a whoever it's like that mud schmad whatever it might be in no you didn't want that hot chocolate no no but he was right and he got his own way and, and he, he, and he was right and he was he right he was monster right tell us about the uh, the night Mark died well uh, Gloria Jones his he, girlfriend, he's, he's girlfriend yeah. uh, also a talented lady she, she wrote, made the original version of Tainted Love that went off she to wrote, number she one. Wrote the song. She wrote it. Absolutely. Which Mark Allman, Armand Schmarman, whatever his name is, did years later. Um, so she's in America and I stayed in his house and every night he, he, he couldn't be on his own. He couldn't be, and it was terrible, terrible. He would say to this Mark Bolan, Eric, you stay tonight, don't go home tonight or you go to, I don't know, Sunday I'm going to go home and see my mum, rest her soul. He said, um, 
He said, because David Niven and Roger Moore and, and uh, uh, Edith Blighting are all coming for like, He came out with these names <laughs> and monster names. Oh, and you think, no, Mark Bobbleo is talking to me, you know, and we grew up together. A kid and I was a kid, yeah. You know, you, know, you, can't, you, know, you can't schmooze a schmoozer and you can't bullshit a bullshitter or kid a kidder. But as it happens, if you did go, then probably there was maybe not all those names. There might be a David Niven there or a Ringo Starr or somebody. So you kind of went because one of them may have turned up. So we would become that close. So now he, I'm, he's sitting in my office. Well, he used to be me and my shadow. My shadow, wherever I went, he went. Night and day was with me. We moved to moved to mates. So he said, oh, I've got some good news. I thought, get a cup out of the shower, ready to jump in my company car, go back to it. My, I've got the, um, Gloria's sent me a message on, Texting, not text, uh, uh, fax, not fax, yeah, yeah. Uh, text, the machines, text machine, whatever. Fax talking. machine, yeah. No, teletext. Oh, teletext, text, oh, not teletext. Blimey, right. Text, whatever it was. That's, uh, yeah. right, she's arriving tonight and I'm putting on the plane and we're going to go and meet her at the airport, like we. Well, no, you go. I said, well, I can't drive, I could never drive. So we agreed that we would go to Morton's in Barclay Square to wait for her to arrive. She only got about 10 o'clock and, and Richard Jones, her brother, was going to pick her up. Gloria's brother, bring her to Barclay Square, London, and we're going to meet there. So we get there, and I thought, now, I'm going to get home already, and you know, I've been two weeks with him. I said, but I'm going to go home tonight, like midweek, whatever the day was. No, no, you're coming back, because you're coming back. We had a few drinks and things and things. Without saying what those things were, not for me, anyway. Mm-hmm. We go, I said, but I've got to go home. Now, if anybody lived in knows Morton's, and you probably know it, there's a toilet at the back of the club, also the, the emergency exit. So I thought, whispers to Gloria, Gloria. I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna schmice. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna schmice. I said, well, just, just, no, no, he won't. I'm gonna go in the back way, so he won't see me go. I gotta get, get, you know, I wanna go more. Yeah. See my mum, and I did that. I went out the back way, so I get to the stand there. It's about one past one in the morning now, so I get in my car, Barclay Square it was parked, driving home. Got to Loughton in Essex and those days where I lived, with my parents. Went to bed, got out of bed, put the radio on, as you know, to drive back to London to Manchester Square in central London. The radio's on, and it's the eight o'clock news, and dabba dumba dum, and Sirius Shmiria, dabba dubba dee, and dabba dum, and also uh, early hour this morning, Mark Boland killed in a car crash. Why did he crash my car? You know, it was like, it's like, uh, you know, minutes, like minutes away, because as a lot of people listen, and you know, I'm not, you don't know, maybe I'm wrong, because when you had a good night's kip, you kind of, you know, you wake up, it's kind of like minutes later. So it was like going to bed, going to getting up, and the first thing I heard was Mark Bowen was killed. Because she was driving, he couldn't drive. Yeah, I thought uh, myself, he drove, you know, maybe... She was driving them, they had a, she had a Mini in there. Mini, a tree, I, a I, drive barns, the yeah. I drove that car every night for two weeks. That's what I'm saying. I left that bit out. And I thought, well, maybe if I would have gone with him, I would have I drove that car. If I'm not a drinker, I've never been a big drinker. So now I'm blaming myself, you know. But you don't blame yourself, surely? No, not now, but I still think about it. I saw Gloria recently yeah. at this thing in Shepherd's Bush in London Theatre. They had like a show about Mark Boland. Mm-hmm. Lots of sort of biggish names were there to yeah. celebrate Mark's life. Do you miss him still? Think about him all the time, yeah. Not all the time, but I miss him. Yeah. Sometime uh, around the time of the mid-70s, rather, October 76, punk rock was happening. I, everyone knows I went to school with John Lydon and... The kids in central London were making this thing happen. But it really came to public attention uh, during an interview on a very sedate uh, early evening Thames television show with a man called Bill Grundy, the Today Show. It was like a news and current affairs show. 
John Lydon and the rest of the Sex Pistols, Johnny Rotten, went on television, behaved not too badly, but by 76 standards, terribly. You set that interview up. Yes. And the funny thing about that interview was that, being a plugger, we had booked on the show a video by Queen. Right. A Queen video. I forget what the record was now. Sure. In those days, you had to get MU clearance. Because the MU would know from your enemy yeah. days. Yeah. And I got a call about half past three from Mike Housko, Thames Television, who was the producer of the Today Show. Right. Eric, they've got a problem. That video was going to use tonight. It's not big. They got MU clearance. Oh, so I'm sorry, Mike. So no, not down to you. I wonder why you ain't a prom promotion manager. It is down to you, but you know. But don't worry. You got anybody else we can use? I said, well, not really. He says to me, "What about the Sex Pistols?" I keep reading about. You just signed them. I said, well, you know, yeah, but they're they're not what say they're musically talented and whatever. And being named Bill Grundy, because I just get a lot of acts on this show as a plugger. I said, you know, they may be hard to handle for Bill, something it was like. And faster than that, Bill used to go to lunch about 11 o'clock in the morning and lunch and come back at, you know, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. So I thought, do it, we do it. So I phoned Mark McLaren up. They were rehearsing that night, that day in Hammersmith somewhere, in, not far from Houston Studios, Houston Towers. And I said, Mark, we've got a TV for the boys today. I knew that he wouldn't want to do it. Oh, great, top of the pops, I think it's a Wednesday. Well, no. Supersonic, well, no. Daladan, well, no. Uh, lift off with Ice Show, whatever it was. <laughs> well, no. Well, what the hell is it? I said, the Today Show on, on Thames. Oh, mm hell, -mm, I'm doing that. We're doing our tour. I said, no, you've got to do it. It's a monster plug. Which I you know, just said it. I've been mm -hmm. pushing for them to do it. And they didn't want to do it. None of them wanted to do it. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. It's a monster, monster plug. Great plug. I've had access, which was like, I've had access to that show before. They've done the plug. They've had number one records. Who? Don't worry, who? They do it. <laughs> do it. All lies. And they did it. And well, he said, on one condition, if you, you do like you do for other acts, like we've mentioned before in another chat, is that if they do it, I want a limousine to pick them up, all that sort of so-called image, and champagne and smoke salmon sandwiches to take them. I said, five-minute drive. No. And he did it. He didn't want to do it, and that's what happened. They did the show. Well, uh, look, the, the Sex Pistols turned up with an entourage of young punks um, on a most sedate mid-afternoon show, early evening show on Thames, and this is just a flavour of how it went. Beethoven... Are you worried or are you just enjoying yourself? Enjoying myself. Are you? Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought you were doing. I always wanted to meet you. Did you really? Yeah. We'll meet afterwards, shall we? <laughs> yeah. You dirty yeah. son. Yeah. You dirty old man. Well, keep going, Chief. Keep going. <laughs> Go on, you've got another five you seconds. Say something outrageous. You dirty. Go on, again. <laughs> you dirty. What a clever boy. What a well, that's it for tonight. Bill Grundy there with the Sex Pistols and a female voice that he was flirting with called Susie Sue of Susie, Susie, of Susie and the Banshees, a huge band in their own right. Love or hate the Sex Pistols, and I appreciate now, years later, they actually were good musicians, they were good. But he did go them, didn't he? I oh, mean, he was doing what deliberately. Professional, what professional presenter on TV or radio 
if a family does swear by accident, softly, you just, you just, if you heard it, if I swore now, which I wouldn't, God forbid, no, you I would talk just, over it or I apologise very briefly and we move very, on. Kind of, not to actually say, go on, you could be, oh, you could be more but outraged the than the that. The point was, it made, it made the Sex Pistols very f- famous, but it also finished Bill Grundy's career to all intents and purposes, didn't so. it? Yeah. He wasn't a very nice man. No. I shouldn't say that, bless his soul. But um, yeah. and anyway, the following day, as well, so a monster, monster plug. They were in every paper, not only in the, you know, John Lydon's yeah. your friend, within every paper, front page, not only here, all over Europe. Yeah. And to be fair, then Malcolm McLaren, he phoned me up from his office in funny in Denmark Street, I don't know if day, and he said, uh, for the right re- wrong reasons, you were right. I thought, what are you talking about? It was a monster, monster plug. Eric, let's talk about um, your latter time in the music industry. You, were, you worked for ATV um, Music, and you were the managing director of Rocket Records, which was the company that Elton John set up um, for his own records um, and, and other bands. I mean, you're right at the very top of the music industry by this stage. Well, I was working for, as I said, ATV, a man called Lou Grade, or now become Lord Luke Ray by the time of Sir then Lord a big big job I had and we you know we was every every whatever it was six months or whatever we was always voted not voted physically the most popular and busiest music publisher we had Boney M we had you name them we had them in the 70s and early 80s and late 60s so John Reed who was out the manager in those days, said, you've got to come and work for us. You know, we, we, want, we need help. We need help. You, you, you've got a great, what you did at EMI, now you're doing at ATV. You're a great finder of artists, songs, publishing mm-hmm. songs, mm-hmm. to know good writers and to know good artists. You know, because a lot of my artists I did sign for other companies like ATV and like EMI was all unknown when I signed, like Pilot, like Cockney Rebel, like Queen, whoever it might be. And he, and he gave me a most amazing, amazing wage he offered me, something like four times more than I was getting, and a big white Daimler Jag. So I took the job. I took the job. So I now become chairman of Rocket Music, his publishing arm, big, big music, his publishing arm, his personal Elton John, and Rocket Records. And the third thing I did, I signed a lady called Judy Zook. I signed a group called Blue, Brilliant. boy from oh, yeah. Scotland, yep. which you mentioned, you yep. like them. And, of course, uh, Lambrettas, a group called Lambrettas. Yep. From Brighton, they were, and they called the Lambrettas. With the fashion first Pete Waterman stroke Pete Collins production, which I, you know, made them do it. Because when they come to me about the Lambrettas sign them, they did a version of a Poison Ivy, the old, you know, uh, Libra and Solo shtick. Coaster thing, yeah. Yeah, great, great version, um, which you do know, they cover the schmuthers. So we did that, and that was my first job, and then I, um, because my job was, going back, was originally to come into Rocket Music, and record, to bring new artists in yeah. and break them, and break them. So Rocket, in those days, every time Rocket was in the chart, Elton John album, Elton John CD or not CD, but whatever, single, single yeah, Schmingle, yeah. everything. Elton, and they wanted to know, you know, bring Eric Owen, he's the one who can get find acts for us. I did find acts, hits after hit after hits, and covers too. In publishing, it's very important to get covers. I remember phoning up, not on a sideline, a very important phone Elton John up one day, who was living in the Saint Tropez then, still got his house there, as far as I know. Elton got some great news. What's that? Is I said, uh, covers. We've got an album coming out. All your songs, a piano player. Oh, marvellous, marvellous, my dear. Of course, you could be, I had two names. Elton, a bit like Freddie Mercury used to do. All his male friends, 
gay or straight or whatever, and ladies' names. Right. My name, my name was with Elton Stider, to be fair, was either Sophie Hall, which is a nice friendly one because of Sophie Tucker, yeah, or Annie Hall, which was you know the Woody Allen movie. Uh, so. Well, what is Sophie? What what is it? Who is it, Sophie? I said Bobby Crush. Oh God! Exactly what he said. You must have read the script. <laughs> oh, but he didn't use the word God. He wanted yeah. something a bit more stronger. What are you talking about, Annie? Well, suddenly I was Annie. You got to stop it. I can't. Uh, you know, I've done the deal with Celebrity Records. The man called Mark Ashwell, who owns the label, he's doing it. Then the studio's all done. It's coming out in a couple of months' time. You got to stop it. You got to stop it. I said, no, no, I ain't gonna stop it. You can't stop it anyway, because as you may know, and a lot of your listeners will know, once the song's recorded by anybody, you, anybody can record it. You want to change the lyric or change the tune, you gotta get the publisher or the writer's but permission. But you can cover it. If... But you can cover it, and once it's released by somebody. Yeah. I said, we can't stop it anyway, Bubbler. He's gonna do your song and this and song for guy and no 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 and uh, eventually he was so upset because i got sacked because that bobby crush bobby crush got me to sack and the strange thing is that the only time i've ever been sacked when well, that's not true i once got sacked by my first ever job funny elton john again was i uh, the the boss cyril g of mills music i sent his bowler hat to america that's another is, story. That's is very, that a second offence? That, that, well, it is the way I did it, yeah. <laughs> because it's... Um, <laughs> but that's another, that's another punch. That's a punch on so, that so story. But going back to Elton John Rocket... Because, so, because, you, because you allowed a cover of, an album covers by Bobby Crush, who was a very uncool artist, and that's probably what was upsetting Elton. Yeah. Um, you find yourself out of work for the first time or out of the music business. So how do you find your way into football then, Eric? Because there's about well, a gap about a year, is there? Well, yeah, but so I, I did, which not a lot of people know this, is that because I love drafting, I went on the buses. I was a bus conductor for about a year. Really? Uh, yeah, really, yeah. That's a, that's a handbrake turn. It was a handbrake turn, but and it was on the 38As from Loughton Station to Victoria. We never stopped at a stop. Because right when I learned the code, if you bring the bell three times, ding, 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 that to tell your, your driver, just carry on. Well, you're a good bus conductor. I'm saying the worst. I didn't, didn't pick up any passengers. <laughs> I didn't pick up... As we left the, the depot, I used to give him three bells. Ding, ding, ding. Next stop. Ding, ding. Back up still. Ding, ding, ding. Went on. Ding, the Woodford Wales. Ding, ding, ding. We never stopped. <laughs> I went to Victoria and just sat in the seat smoking a cigarette. Well, look, look, look. We've got to bring some some order to chaos here. I know that the footballer who introduces the world of football, he's here to, as a guest. It is the former Spurs. Played about 3,000 games for Spurs uh, in the 70s and 80s. I'd like to say we were joined now by Steve Perryman. Hello, Steve. Good evening, mate. How are you? Very, very good indeed. And, uh, Steve, you've done yeah. a lot of good things for football and for society, <laughs> but you also brought Eric Hall in as a football agent. How did that happen? Well, you can't do it all right all your life. I'm blaming you personally, Steve. <laughs> so, as in my memory, um, I think we all got invited, the Spurs team, to a, a charity do, uh, I think in Epping, with the Epping Forest Country Club. And, um, you know, during the evening, you meet various odd people. That's what you're there for. Odd people, like Eric Hall, yeah. Most, yeah, most yeah. Odd, but most odd. <laughs> particularly odd. Anyway, um, we, I got talking to him, and... Um, of course, I was I was made aware of Eric's sort of link with the, with the entertainment business and what he'd been through in his in his uh, record years and 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 dealing with with star names and all of that. And uh, just by coincidence, I'd had a letter some few days before offering me a, a book deal autobiography. Right. 
which, to be fair, you know, I know my football and I know my football strengths and weaknesses and whatever. And, and one of my abilities is I, I I know when I'm when I'm I know what I know, and I don't get involved in things that I don't know. So um, I thought, well, the way the conversation was going, Eric could definitely help me in that respect uh, because of all his sort of experience. And um, so I said, Eric, you know, what about we we work together? I'm sure Eric offered me that as well. And, um, you know, let's start on this one and, uh, and see how it goes from there because I was at the end of my coming to the end of my career obviously you know things like this book deal were going to come up and where are you going to go next after a playing career are you going to stay in the game or is there is there another avenue for me and of course I thought with, with someone like Eric and his, his vast sort of knowledge of of what's going on outside of football because you know I, I knew enough about that world that um, you know it could be a good partnership and that's how it turned out. Yes, yeah, Steve, see, my story is slightly different, but I like your one better. <laughs> so I've got to use your one in future. No, but no, my, 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 you're right, the venue was probably right. But I, from my recollection, is that Garth Crooks kept coming up to me and saying, I know you, I know you, I know you. And I was saying, well, I don't know where you know me from. It then worked out where he did know me from. And you kept on saying, and I didn't know then, as you know, I knew you were a footballer, and saying, like, leave him, oh, Garth, leave him alone drive the man mad but then I said when I've worked out we do know each other I go to a club in the West End called Monkbridge in German Street yeah. Danny yeah. Kelly's nodding because he knows the <laughs> it. and he'd seen me not he knew me but I've been there kind of name drop been sitting there with like Brett Eklund and Ross Stewart and uh, Mark, you know whoever it might be so that's by and you then said to me you ever thought about getting involved with football you know and I said yeah and I said, well, that- yeah, kind that, of that's about, p- right. about right. And I said to you, that silly joke was still, I'm going to try again on Danny Kelly. Nobody ever laughed. I thought I could never be a football agent, Bubbler. You said, why? I think you should do free kicks. You should be charging for them. Oh, okay. And a silly joke. And we then we sat down and and, and we, I, as you said, so I said, Look, no contract then, Steve. You said what you just said to Danny. Ah. Yeah, let's try it. Let's do it. Work together yeah. on certain projects. And I said, well, no contract. You know, I'm one of those guys. I've been in the business, the record business from all my life, if it works, you ain't going to want to get rid of me. And if you do exactly. want to get rid of me, they won't want you anyway, if it works. If it don't work, yeah. and we've never had, from day one till today, never had anything in writing. We just did things for you, and I love you. I really love you. And, and never and never a crossword, I've got Never a crossword. But never. Steve, that's fa- and that's lovely to hear uh, the two of you are having a big cuddle up there, but Steve, surely, in your role as director of football down there at Exeter, every time you see a football agent walk through your door, you must regret the day that you put Eric Hall on this on this path. No, absolutely not, because I'm I'm aware of, of you know what's out there and what, what agents should be doing for you and what they shouldn't be doing for you and areas they get involved with and where they're right or whatever. You know, I, I, I do question and answers all the time, particularly with Spurs groups around London. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, one of the questions is is there a need for agents? And I say, Well, if you had a seventeen year old talented kid um, you know, just reaching fruition and, and clubs won't sign him, would you let him in a room on his own with, for instance, Alan Sugar or Abramovich or those, you know, it doesn't have to be those sort of names, but the, the, the people at the top of those uh, clubs with all their experience with a 17-year-old kid? No, no, you wouldn't no, you put wouldn't. him in, would you? And there's nothing wrong with a bit of advice. And, you know, I have to say that from a football perspective, of course, Eric owned up. He, he don't really know too much about football, but he knows the business 
side of things. And, and from, from a football footballer's perspective, you do need that sort of advice. And uh, so he was invaluable. So, yeah. Right. It, it, was, it was all good, yeah. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Steve, I'll see you soon, Bubba. And thank you for coming for my lunch last month. For uh, one it, was, it was brilliant and you were well respected there. And it, it, that was obvious to see. That's the great Steve Perriman, of Bless course. Bless you, bless you. Love uh, it. Wonderful footballer in his time. First Thanks to him for, for joining us time. here. Well, he's the one who put you on the road to being a football agent. And uh, next we will be discussing your time in that role in much more detail. Eric, we uh, we heard in the second, in the last part of the first half of the show about your move from music into football and how it came about. How big how big a difference did you find? How different are the two worlds? Well, I think by I moved into football, when I moved to football, I didn't find a lot of difference. And I'll tell you why I say I didn't find difference. Because I, from a showbiz life, record business life for a 15-year-old boy, you know, in the music business, I treated footballers like pop stars, like actors, you know, so I was different. So I remember I phoned Steve Perriman one day and said, Steve, we're doing Crackerjack next week. He said, pardon? You mean that show that, that Barco Aspel does? I can remember when Eamon Andrews did it. I said, yeah, Crackerjack. It's Friday, it's five it's o'clock, Friday, and, and it's, it's Crackerjack. Crackerjack, Crackerjack. And, then, and, and punchlines and, and doing all sort of shows. Where you were from plug a record, I was promoting... Getting commercials. I got right to talk about radio. I went with Radio Luxembourg and gave him an idea for Steve Perriman, did a radio show. The idea was, I think pre the other TV shows, this similar idea was, I said to Ken Evans who and Alan Keane were then, you know, Mr. and Mr. Luxembourg, I got this idea for, what do you mean, a footballer? No, I don't know, but it was my idea. You have a footballer on who, and you pick a year every year or a small stand of football. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, with my, my hypothetical year when I was plugging them to do the series for Steve Perriman, 1966, the year we won the World Cup. So you'll have Stevie doing the show, but he's members of that year. Yep. The hits, the hits of that year. Yeah. And my guess will be he can get Bobby Moore, rest his soul, yeah. you know, was alive then, or Jeff Earth, or Martin Peters. So he's guess to be somebody relative to that year you'll be talking about. Yeah. They love the idea. We did it. We did a 12-week series. Yeah. Vreda Luxembourg. Well, listen, we'll talk about some of the other people you represented over the years. One player who worked with you throughout his career, of course, that saw him win both the Premier League and Caps for England as well, is the uh, former Blackburn and uh, Spurs and much else player, former Spurs manager very recently, Tim Sherwood. Hi, Tim. How you doing, Danny? Really, really good. According to Eric, Eric Hall, he's a fantastic agent. Would you agree? The best, the best. He's the best agent I've ever had, Osa. <laughs> how, did you, how did you come to fall into the clutches of Eric Hall? <laughs> I can't remember actually. I don't know how it was so long ago. I can't remember how we actually met, but um, someone introduced me to him, and I and it was probably being out one night, and I just thought he was great value. You know, I you yeah. got so many agents these days, you know, or them days, telling you buy this insurance, buy that. They all want to spend your money. Eric just wanted me to move clubs and earn some money. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> So that was what attracted me to him. And from there onwards, I stuck with him as an agent throughout my playing career. And he was more of a mate than an agent to me. So I just uh, just kept him along. He was good value. You know, I always liked to giggle. I didn't suffer fools uh, easily. And I still don't. And, and I just thought a lot of them were frauds. You know, a lot of them were dressing it up to be what they are. Eric was what he was. You know, and he, he would tell you himself that he was no expert on football. Um, and, I'm, and I honestly believe an agent don't have to be. 
you know, but so many of them tried to be the expert on everything, you know, and and it wasn't straight, it wasn't honest, and uh, and I felt Eric certainly wasn't straight and honest, but I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're you're actually right, Tim, in that in that you see so many of the agents now, and they've got their their um, iPads and their and their and their very posh suits and all the rest of it. Yeah. But, but Eric wasn't like that. Uh, he was more about personality as well as his contacts, of course. Um, but there wasn't. I mean. Did it bother you, Tim, that you know you're a, a very famous footballer at the time, as you say, captain of the team that's winning the, the championship in England? Um, that Eric Hall was almost a bigger celebrity uh, by the end of it than some of his players. It was. I mean, he was the only agent who needed an agent who I've ever met. You know, so uh, it, it, it it didn't bother me. No, of course not. No, you're happy for him to take the attention away. When you go into negotiations, and it weren't often we did it, and we didn't enforce a move just so he could earn a few quid off me. If he felt I weren't happy and we spoke about it and we needed a move, I'm one of them players that I recognised and Eric didn't pretend to be the agent who can get you a move. And I say to a lot of boys, especially when I was doing a development phase at Tottenham, yes. your agents can't get you moves. You have to do get yourself a move by what you do on a pitch. Then when you get the people interested, your agent will take over from there. You know, he can't play the game for you, thankfully. And Tim, when you know, as you say, the shoe is very much on the other foot now. You're a, you're a manager yourself. When you see an agent come to the door to talk to you about something, and of course, you know these things. This is the way the game works. Do you ever think back to your time with Eric and wonder how Eric would have handled it? Yeah, I, but it was easy with Eric because he always knew. I mean, I think he always said to me more than anyone that you can't kid a kidder, and he knew that he couldn't kid me. And I was always very honest with him. And if he started to talk some rubbish, what I didn't believe, I would tell him straight away, Eric. Don't try and justify justify yourself. You know, I like you for what you are, and just keep to that. And and we had a good relationship because because of that. Now I see agents coming in now, and I tell them exactly the same when they start talking about football. And this one should tuck in there, and that one needs to push on. As you say, look, be mm-hmm. quiet, mate. With respect, you don't know the game. Let me do do all the logistics on the football side. You just crunch the numbers and get the best deal for your player. But they're deluded, some of them, because they think that their player is. Is the new Lionel Messi or Ronaldo, and you know, and I and I tell them the truth. I tell them exactly where I think the player is in my eyes, and uh, and where he where he if he's got a future at the football club or if he's got a future elsewhere. I tell you, Tim, thanks for doing the shtick for me. But I'm going to no tell problem. the audience of uh, same Danny, really, the great story about you, what an honourable, lovely girl. I love you. I love you, Mia and your, all the family. We've gone to Derby. To do a deal with Arthur Cox. Right. True story. Yeah. True story. He never tells people this, but I'm going to tell you because he's a great guy. Biff. On the, it must be in the early days of the mobile. It must be because on the way back on the train to London, we've done a deal. We've agreed. We're going to go back the following day. Not me. Medical sign. He's a Derby player. The phone goes. It's Kenny Dalglish. Eric, what's happening with with uh, Tim? Tim? I said, well, what do you mean? What's happening? You saw te- Teletext while we were on the Sky, mm. early days Sky yep. News. C-Fax. It's C-Fax, Schmee-Fax, for an old <laughs> stick. I said, he's going to Derby, medical tomorrow. I want him here at Blackburn. He'd just taken over at Blackburn then, Kenny. Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't know what deal you've done, Eric. Whatever it is, I'll give you, I won't mention figures, sure. much, much more money, much more this, much more that. Right away, I'm tempted. And we take care of you, Eric. Uh, Robert Corr and Jack Walker will take care of you. And I'm tempted, because I do like making a few quid. Mm-hmm. Also, good club, new challenge, Kenny Dalglish, the governor, the governor, of, you know, managing Blackburn. Mm-hmm. What did he, I told him right away, Tim, we're on the train. What did Tim Sherwood say? Can't do it. I said, I'm joining Black, Derby. 
If that's right, Ken, so far, right, Tim? I can't, Eric, I know you mean, well, I can't. I've agreed to join, I've shook, sure. shook his hand, hand. Yeah. We've got a deal. Get back on the train, you're right. Phone goes again, it's half the cops. Eric, behave yourself. It's been insane. <laughs> behave yourself, Eric. What are you talking about, Arthur? You can't say no to Kenny Dalgleish. Yeah. I'm telling you, I don't want that player anymore, Tim Sherwood. <laughs> Let him go and see Kenny Dalgleish. Is that right, Tim? Yeah, he put me on the phone and Arthur said to me, um, I understand you've had the big man on the phone. I said, yeah. He said, if you're my son, I'm telling you to go to Blackburn. Wow. I think he must have seen some extra food to me and didn't fancy me and wanted to get out at the last minute. <laughs> yeah, you know? maybe so, Tim. He's, he saw he saw something other than what Eric had originally showed him. Listen, yeah. well, well, the rest of it is history, of course. You go on to Captain Blackburn's the league title. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, and, more than that, Danny. Yeah. Sorry, we, more than that, we played them in the um, in the playoff semi-final to get promoted to the Premier League. I mean, it's a proper sliding door story, you know, because it go could on. have gone the other way. Yeah. I mean, they've never, they've never recovered since then. No, they, so absolutely. We, we ended up playing them in the semi-final, two-legged semi-final, to reach the Premier League, and we beat them in the semi-final. We beat Leicester in the final and we reached the Premier League, and then the rest is history after that, obviously. Incredible. Listen, thank you, Tim. Uh, uh, thank you for coming on, just giving us a flavour of what it's like to work with Eric Hall. Um, talk to you again soon, I hope. Cheers, mate. Thank love you, love you, love you, love you. Thank you, thank you. Tim Sherwood, what an amazing story that is, because maybe Derby would have gone on to win the title. Well, there you go. That's and, why we've never, ever... Please never ever spoke about that story publicly. Incredible. I thought because I love your company, I love doing this show. So I thought it's about time we told the world the that it is. We're about greedy footballers. Maybe not greedy. No. He says no, Kenny. Honourable. Honourable. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure the Derby fans will be second to hear that story, but there, that's the way of it. You also worked with Terry Venables. Well, that's, not really. I did, did but I didn't. But no. I did. Remember, I met Terry. I'm, I'm, we're going back now. I'm 15 years old. I work at Mills Music, packing paths with me and Elton John, Reg Dwight, and one of the regular people every day after training, Chelsea, which then those days, Georgie Graham, Alan Harris, Ronnie Harris, Johnny Hollins, Terry Venables, Ken Shiletto, all the, uh, those, in those days, whether the year was 60-something, mm-hmm. after they finished finished training, Chelsea, they all go to Denmark Street. Another place to be. It was such a buzzy, lovely street show, and Terry loved showbiz. So I first met Terry when I was 15, in Denmark Street, he go to the offices. Michael, Pat, Sherlock, he go there, and Pat Sherlock would buzz me or Reg, Reg, the boys are here. Go to Julie's Cafe in Denmark Street for yeah tea for four teas, a coffee, a, a bacon sandwich, dum 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 dum, and we do that. And Terry loved it. We got him doing that. De- he finished up doing demos, records in the in the demos, the studio mm-hmm. we mentioned before. Yeah. So after I met Terry when I was fifteen, so when I saw I was his agent, I was his agent, but he was a mate really, just to a done deal for. Eric, you um quickly established yourself with a group of uh, of players, but of course. In the golden age of football agency, I guess you'll you'll make up the rules as you go along. Um, some very big chairmen, some very big managers to deal with. What do you remember? Um, who, who who were the people who were hard to deal with? Who were the people too easy to deal with? Well, none of them were really easy to deal with. Really, um, um, I remember the sort of Ken Bates, for instance, who was then owned Chelsea before the new new Chelsea yeah. people, and. A great line about me because we're in the deal, we're renegotiating Dennis Wise's contract. Right, you're a Dennis Wise. Already agent, player, yeah. I'm Dennis Wise's agent, I am. We're renegotiating, renegotiating. We're in his office, and there's Colin Hutchinson, who was then the CEO, secretary, whatever yeah, yeah. they call him now, the club secretary, Ken Bates, 
me and Dennis Wise, and I'm doing my shtick, and I'm doing my shtick, and I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking, and dabba 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 dabba. I want this, him to stay, stay this club, love for three years, dabba dooba dib, I'm chatting away. And suddenly he gets up, puts his coat on Ken, and walks out, he's going to walk out, where are you going? Then Eric, I said yes to everything 20 minutes ago. <laughs> you're the only agent, you're the only agent I know who can't take yes for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great line, great line. And do, do, when you're an agent at that level, um, do you find you end up working with certain clubs and there are other clubs that won't touch you? How did that work, Eric? No, I think it's worth some. I mean, most of the clubs didn't like to work with me because I was good at my job, if I'm being a monster, monster mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. But I think, like everything, I'm sure in your business, all our businesses, if they wanted you, the club, the chairman, they would work with Adolf Hitler or Gaddafi, God forbid. Because, you know, if they wanted a player, to re-sign a new contract of bring a player in, they will, and who says my players, Harry, I'm not sure, don't get too heavy, I said, Bubbler, we're only here because they're, they're bought you. They're not going to let this deal f- fall out of bed because of, you know, me. So, no, no player club would ever refuse to work me, so for latter years with Alan Sugar at Spurs, Terry Venables, or another great story with Sam O'Man. I took a player, I think, Gary Blissett, to Wimbledon in those days, one of my little crazy things. And it's half true, because I had a call, I think, from Sheffield United, Dave Bassett, who just took over as manager. Sure. Similar stories I've tell all the time. Eric, you know, what's happened with Blissett? He said, well, we won. I said, well, no, I can't. Um, so we go and see Sam and man. Myself, Gary Blissett, Sam. And he used to be a lovely reg, I forget his name there, the club secretary. He was a bit of a stutterer, a bit of a twitterer. Very nervous, man. Said, yeah, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, do that. So we're in there, and Sam, I want that. Can I give him this? No, 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 no. You mustn't say that she's a puncher, Sam, a man. She said, literally, love me. We were mates, really. It would hit me. You, how could you say that to me? You are like my brother. How do you ask me for money? And you're Jewish, and I'm a Palestinian, and you, you must not do this. I said, no, no, Sam, this business. No, no. He was very funny, lovely. Loved him. If you're listening, Sam, I love you. And he would, he would uh, you know. So one day, we just can't do a deal. So I said, I can't help it, Sam. Let's go, let's go, come and... So we're walking down, I thought, come... And he said to me, you will come back. I said, no. Well, mate, I don't know. And we get to the door coming out of Wimbledon in those days. This Reg guy, I forget his second name mm-hmm. now. I said to Reg, uh, well, 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 he went down to get a cup of tea or something. So where are you going? I said, no, no, I can't deal with a man. He's mad as a marcher, I can't deal with him. Come on, Gary. I said, and by the way, Reg, what's the quickest way to get to Sheffield? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we went, oh. <laughs> we got the car to drive out of the car, but before the car started the engine, Sam and come running down and said, no, no, you're right, you got what you wanted, Eric. Yeah. One of my bluffs. <laughs> my greatest other bluff was really to my bluff. It's not your very quick question. Yeah, come on. But John Aldridge, both Rockford United. Yeah. And Liverpool want to sign him. There is no way, whoever the manager was, I forget, mm-hmm. wouldn't let him go. He put transfer requests in day after day, torn him up, putting them in. You're going nowhere, John Aldridge. You're standing. Probably here. Morris Evans, was it? Morris Evans. You're going nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. I said, so I thought he, he never got accepted. So I come up with a great coup. Just an idea, which you've got to do as an agent, too, like PR man, his little ideas. That day, the midweek match, they're playing Queen's Park Rangers at Queen's Park Rangers. So I phoned up a guy called Brian Warner, who was then working for The Sun. Great journalist, yeah. Great journalist, great man. Yeah. I said, Brian, do you want an exclusive? 
Well, yeah, after John Aldridge begging Harry Hayes in Liverpool wants to get away and dabba dabba doom and really wants to get away, Liverpool has told his agent, not that I don't the name check, that they would definitely take him. You know, they've already discussed terms with the agent, but uh, they, will, they won't let him go. Play QPR, I think they, they got beat that night, following day. Trump, Front page, a little bit on front page, I bet John Aldridge turned to page da 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 do. I turned to that page, double page exclusive, John Aldridge, my hell at Oxford, my knocked them terribly. Now, that same morning, Robert Maxwell, I was not rest his soul, he was a very nice man, mm -hmm. phoned up Morris Evans. Because he's the owner of Oxford, of course, yeah. Owner of Oxford, and said, listen, he said, what's this player I'm reading about? Hates the club. He said, tell him to off, get him out, I want him out, want him out, get rid of him right away. Now, that's a good story, but my reason why I did it that way was he wasn't caring about Oxford Robert Maxwell. I had an exclusive story in the Sun newspaper. He owns the Daily Mirror. That's where he copped the needle. That was my little plan. Right. I thought the only way to get John Aldridge from that club is to get Robert Maxwell involved. Not to say, John, Robert, I need your help. No. Upset Robert Maxwell. So that's my little coup too. Well, how did you get banned at Spurs? Why did you get banned from Tottenham? Well, a very simple answer. I was, as we said earlier, is that I was Terry Venable's mate since I was 15. Done a lot of work for him, business work, negotiated these BBC TV deals and all those things, which are all, you know, other things I did. Mm -hmm. Got his own column, whatever I did. So he brought me to Spurs. And I, I with Neil Ruddock, we arranged, Neil was very pro uh, Terry, we arranged like a demonstration outside his house in Chigwell with all the wives of the players. They just stood there and, and, and you know, putting things on in, in big white paint on his beautiful £10 million house. Uh, no, no, uh, we want tea, no sugar. All those little, which is my slogan, quite, quite, quite clever, Bobla. Oh, yeah. I think they get no sugar, no sugar, <laughs> tea, no sugar. And, uh, and I caused a lot of trouble. So Kennedy goes to court, then Terry, and he loses. And he loses. And because of my relationship, then as I got back to my office those days, I had a, a, a telex waiting for me from Peter Barnes, who was then the club secretary, saying that Eric, unfortunately, after two years, um, I would say lost, he lost the case and he was sent yeah. goodbye Terry Venables. And it was a, as of today's situation, you are now no longer welcome at Spurs or any Tottenham or anything. Da, 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 da. So I phoned him up, Peter, but I said, Peter, I got your daily text, yeah. whatever it's called. He says, yeah, I said, well, I've got a problem. You say I'm banned from Tottenham. I said, I live in the West End of London and I go see my lovely mum who lives in Wolverham Abbey. I have to go through Tottenham. Oh, you said I can't see my mum anymore. Allergy. Oh, no, I, I don't think it means... The, I don't the mean Tottenham High Road. <laughs> I, he, he, yeah, I said, no, I'm only one. You know, goodbye and put the phone down. Yeah. But uh, so, band, I think I still am banned. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been back since. Oh, really? And uh, and the thing, but Alan Sugar wrote a book recently. I don't plug his book. I've done about three different chapters, all about me. Okay, well, listen, one of the players you mentioned there uh, during your time uh, working at Tottenham Hotspur is Neil Razor Ruddock, great friend of uh, TalkSport, of course, and he joins us on the line now. Hello, Neil. Hello, lads. Yeah, I, I got a letter from Tottenham saying I was I was banned as well, being associated with you, Eric. Oh, I remember that. Yes, I do. I forgot about that. <laughs> now, no words are lie. When I just said, 
Because yeah. I think you're, 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 you're How are you, monster? All right, Bobble, how are you? I'm lovely. Makes <coughs> the poor players rich and the rich players richer. That's my line. That's like the, yeah. Neil, Neil, the thing is, we've just been talking to Tim Sherwin, and you can see Tim was a more sort of, if you like, disciplined and uh, less high-profile in many ways player than yourself, and I was wondering how that worked. When I see, of course, your personality and, and, and Eric's personality, it makes perfect sense he was your agent, Yeah. Yeah, he was brilliant. He was he'd become a close family friend as well, Eric. You know, so it was a it was good to work with someone, you know, an agent that, that you really trusted with your life, and that Eric was that that sort of mentor. Uh, but how, but how, did, how, did you, how did you come to a place, uh, Neil, where you would trust him with your life? Well, I know. <laughs> I mean, we used to come to my house for the roast dinners and all the family parties. So you know, if. Uh, if he let me down, he let me two big brothers down. So he wasn't going to let them down as well. But, hang on, hang uh, you on. know, we had the relationship. So hold on, Neil, you've got big brothers. I'm the I'm the smallest. Yeah, oh I'm the my baby. giddy god! Oh my god! I've got okay. two brothers, two brothers bigger than me and harder and uglier than me, which is awesome. Tremendous, yeah. a tremendous firm. Then um, just <laughs> just give us um, you know, uh, some memory of of Eric and how you how you worked together properly. You know, to get I these think, deals well, done. Eric, I mean, I mean, the thing about Eric when you went when you went into see the chairman and the, or the chief exec or whatever it was, you know. I mean, the, the, the day I signed for Liverpool, Peter Robinson was there and Eric was there and Eric, we went in there and Eric told jokes for half hour and I think after an half hour of Eric Paul's jokes, they just give you what you want. <laughs> so, I mean, that was it. That was his negotiating skills. And when the players reach the end of their career, 33, 34, whatever it is, and they come, they fall out of contract, do you continue to represent them? Do you continue to have a relationship with them? Yes. Well, we did with, with Eric, but, uh, you know, uh, by the time now, the so I went into I went into the jungle. Then I got you know sort of tied up with the, the ITV sort of people. They sort of rule your life from them. But you know, every, every, we still we still talk. We still get on. And if I need any any sort of uh, advice on on jobs, I do. I sort of I ring Eric and get his advice. He, you know, he's been in the trade a long time, and he gives me still gives me tips now. So you know, still a, still a working relationship. Well, that, the, 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 the acid test for this Neil is definitely this question: if you if you had a son. Or a grandson yeah. who showed a bit of talent at football, and let's say the the, the clock stopped and Eric was still exactly as he is now, would you yeah. recommend him to another young person as an agent? Definitely, hundred percent, hundred percent. I'd recommend him to other people's uh, sons and daughters because they're not only an agent, he's he's got a, he's got a big heart for a little man. He's got a big heart, so you know he's he's not there to to seed, yeah, just for his financial gain. He, he looks after people to to help their lives and help their families' lives as well, you know. Well, I've got to say very quickly, because we've run out of time, is that what he said, that I only had players which I got on with. I want a certain players would come to me, like a Gary Mabbott, mm-hmm. like a, even Alan Shearer, who's Neil's best mate. Neil's big mate, yeah. They want to be an yeah. Eric Hall-type person. I had the Dennis Thuwise, I had the Neil Ruddocks, I had all the, the John Fadge, all the nutters, all the great <laughs> characters, the characters, the great talent. Late in 1997, um, you're one of the leading agents, perhaps the leading agent in English football, one of the most pers- uh, recognisable personalities in the country, for better or worse for that, when you were suddenly struck down with a disease uh, called TTP, uh, thrombocytopenic purpura, to give it a proper name. Sounds like the after uh, back three. Absolutely, if they were playing a back three. But TTP is a really, really dangerous disease, and you went through hell. Tell us about it. Well, How funny you, thing, were you, were you, was... Did you feel ill? No, uh, because until it happened, yeah. I wake up in the morning about saying it rude, went out of a bath, which we all do, and things to get ready in the morning. So I was going to do a TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the show I was doing, a BBC TV show, it was called All Over the Shop, which Paul Ross was, right. was presenting. And uh, it's very 
basic show. I have to say this because it's part of the story. Mm-hmm. It was a show was you had different like cheeses from one from uh, Hamleys and one from Harrods, uh, Marks and Spencers or sure. whatever. And you had to taste. You had a little panel on each show, and you had to taste which was uh, you know the most expensive. So I was doing that show, and so I went to have a wee wee. Excuse my language. Yeah, and I saw a lot of blood. Right. So I panicked a bit, but I thought, no, so the carpet's been able to take me to Elstree. So I phoned up my doctor, lovely Dr. Joseph, and I said, I've got this, told him, don't worry, you'll be all right, you feel ill? No, I feel all right, just, uh, no, when you come, come and see me. So I do the TV show. I remember that uh, uh, Neris Hughes yep. was on the panel, and uh, the guy, this big fat guy, was in Emmerdale, nice man, running, I think mm-hmm. his name. And we did it, actually, my team won. Came right back to London, and the doctor looked at me, Dr. Joseph in Wimpole Street, London, and he said, no, I'm going to take you to, go to Harley Street Clinic right away. A London Clinic, sorry, London yes. Clinic. When I got there, they said, look, I'm going to keep you in the night. You know, there's not something right there. Um, you've got, a, it's a, something to do with your blood. It's not, we thought it might just be an infection sure. or something, but it's not, it's something deeper than that. And that's a lot of stuff. I don't remember, the next thing I know, I wake up, in University College Hospital in London. You know, three, four miles down the road. Yeah, I had no idea, no recollection or anything. What occurred was, they had no idea at London Clinic. I went to a court, I won the case, got money. They had no idea what I had. They thought it was, uh, first of all, E. coli, AIDS, anything to do with blood, I was tested for, they couldn't find him. So my sister, Caroline, heard about it, because she'd come to see me every day, my mum, I, I was out of it, I was just, you know, you know yes. my nephew, Michael, and... Um, they, she, well, they said his days are numbered. Any minute he's going to be dead. Goodbye, Charlie. Fate, monster fate. I was goodbye. They, they gave up on me. And my sister wouldn't accept it, to be fair. So she phoned a friend of ours who she knew. She said, no, if you've got a blood disease, there's a professor, Sam Machen, worked from the, the University College Hematology Department. Mm-hmm. It was the best in the world. That's why the professor. So she phoned him, got hold of him. First of all, he was busy, but when she said, help it, my ego here, well, it's my brother's Eric Hall, because he read about me in the paper. I've been yes. front page on the news at 10. I was everywhere. I loved it, really. Great ego man, I loved it. Yeah, if it wasn't the dying thing, it'd have been great publicity, great, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. He'd been great publicity. So she, he, he heard about this, and he was a football fan, supported Chelsea. So he knew of me very well. Comes to see me that night, and right away, she told him what happened, the symptoms of things. Amazing. To get that man off the machine right away, this machine, get an ambulance, take him back to my hospital. TTP. He's got TTP. He knew. Just looking at me, five minutes he knew. Just to, to explain to people how ill you were, you were in a coma. See, eight weeks in a coma. I mean, sorry, I can't ask you what you remember about that. But I don't uh, remember nothing. No, of course not. Of course I remember the crazy dreams. I don't know if the crazy dreams were true dreams. Or the, but I do remember, uh, sort of, I suppose, the dream of... For some reason, Bruce Forsyth was in my dream, <laughs> singing a song. And I was people watching him on stage, and, and then suddenly there were three big nurses and, and whatever. That's more uh, like the dream, yeah. That's more like a dream. No, but my funniest part was, this is a true story, just jumping forward a bit. Yeah. But I mean, I, thought, I was in hospital for three, four months. You know, lost not contact, pick up lovely people at like Barbara Windsor, from big names, Paul McCartney, sending flowers to me, everything. But you know the old saying... It's not over until the fat lady sings. Mm-hmm. I'm in my room. I'm now coherent. I'm watching a bit of TV. Mm-hmm. I'm watching something on TV. It might be football. And I felt tired. So, and, the, and the nurse was with me, these big nurses all the time. And, and we're sitting with me that night with a big fat nurse. Big fat nurse. 
and I was watching TV, I must have dozed off and woke up again and she stood by my boy's side and she started singing. And I thought, that's it. Oh no, I'm the fat lady's the, here. The fat lady there. <laughs> it went out and I thought, it wasn't over. Yeah, I was very, very ill. We're laughing about it now. Did you think you were going to die, Eric? Oh, but she started singing, yes. So I've never, ever, and I've been honest, I never, ever crossed my mind that I was going to die because when the major, major part of my illness was there, I didn't know I was in a coma. So when I've come out of the coma, I'm feeling, you know, not feeling better, you know, but not not as bad as I probably was a month or so earlier. First of all, the obvious question now, years on, are you okay? Does he recur? Is there something you have to look out for? Who are you? Where am I? Yeah. (laughs) Let me tell you then, because, you know, look... We know that you've been talking to us, and there's Eric Hall, the man, and Eric Hall, the boy that grew up in the Shoreditch and all the rest of it. And then there's Eric Hall, the act. You know, you, some of this is some of it's your personality, some of it's a bit of an act because that's that's the way we all are. If you if you work yeah, in the media, no, that's good. so let me ask you about this. How did it affect you as a person, Eric? The fact that you were near to death, or did it? Are you did you just bounce straight back and say that's nothing to do with me? I, I tried to bounce right back, but I'll be honest too that I had quite a few quid in those days. Mm-hmm goodbye you know i had a great life still having a great life so you know i had no money left as such how come because it all gone in, in financial in, in, in expenses. No, come out there and i thought you know i'm gonna just spend 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 uh, like crazy i was covered with booper so that's one of them private rooms uh, i had a great time with that money a great life and still having a great life but I, I bounced back, I suppose, after a few weeks, because it wasn't just bouncing back, which wasn't your question in a way. In no. a way. It, it was after I was kind of well enough, yeah, I started grafting again. And I started, the funny thing is... I but the illness hasn't up. changed you as a person, you don't think? I don't think so, no. Okay. It's it, maybe worth not, it may be more aware that, you know, every day is... is, is Graft. It's not so every day. I'm so ill. So every day, just sit and relax around a swimming pool. No. I maybe work work even harder. I've set up some companies now with with my nephew Michael McPherson's mm-hmm. and Kelly Maloney and one or two other people. So I'm just the same old Eric Hall. Well, well, you, well, you are. Um, but let me ask you because after that terrible experience, you were, as you say, the money dried up you, for various reasons, and your your companies went to liquidation. There was a dispute with, one, with other people. Three, three companies in liquidation. All went to, and did that not set you back? Did that not make you think oh, this this has been a, this has all been a great run, but this is all over now? No, it's never all over until. No. No, no, they're both the same line. Yeah, again. no. No, I've never, because I'm still grafting, Bubbler. I'm still, you know, setting up new companies and TV and radio and, and, and cup companies, production companies, with with Michael McPherson, a company called West One Media, which we're making... Well, well, look, look, we'll talk all about that in the last section of the show, because I'd love right. to know what you're going on there, because even Kelly Maloney, when she was on this show, revealed to me that, two you're going to get back into boxing, so there's stuff going on there. But let's just, let's just, let's just say that, that this period... Um, after your illness and all the rest of it, let me just uh, say, um, when you look back then on what you did as a public celebrity, you still are a celebrity, obviously, but as a when you were really huge and then the illness brought to an end, what do you think about yourself when you look back on from you know you and the you and the fourteen year old Mark Bowden knocking about together in the amusement arcades? That that when you look back on that twenty five years when you were in the middle of the madness of Britain in the seventies and eighties, what do you think about it? Well, I've never said this to anybody before, except for maybe certain people I when I come out of hospital I did the whole thing I never got religious the opposite I thought why me God I was buzzing because on the way to this TV show all over the shop 
I had a call from, uh, um, I forget the guy's name now, who was managing Spice Girls. They were making that movie. Simon Fuller. Simon Fuller, lovely Simon, I've known for years. Eric, he said, we're doing a movie with the Spice Girls. We're looking for celebrities to play cameo parts. Are you keen? I said, blah, blah. Yes. We don't vote for money. Of course I know you ain't going to cheat me. I want to do it. Yeah, I want to do it. I had the Spice Girls movie lined up. I was also talking to another guy because I used to do a chat show. I was like a bit like they do the Johnny Carter show years ago in America. I was doing a show with Richard Littlejohn on London Weekend where I sat there as the like sidekick, like the other sidekick, Johnny Carter. And the guy, I forget his name, mm-hmm. was also Simon somebody, I think, was wanted me to join London Weekend to contract do the next series with Richard Littlejohn, just as these sidekick. All that was happening, and then suddenly all this happened to me. So I thought, there can't be a God. Could, if there's anybody up there, I don't love to anybody, it's got to be a devil. Because God don't do these things. Look what he's done to me. One of the most famous, not person, but football agent in the business, writing a column for the Sunday people, getting books, and it made a record which sold three copies, Monster Cash. Monster Cash, yeah. You remember, you remember. And, <laughs> Oh, everyone was going for me, and this happened. So, you know, for a long, long time, it put my doubts in that if there is somebody out there, it ain't a god, it's a devil. One thing you've done a lot of uh, since your illness and uh, come back to what you call grafting is you've become a radio presenter. It's really easy, isn't it? Well, it's not easy, but I love doing it. I love radio. I love radio. Well, it's easy for me because I'm just there on radio. And I, when I first got a call from BBC Essex, mm-hmm to do my own show. No, I'll go back just like that. Another well-known commercial station yeah. uh, run by, uh, um, I won't mention his name, Charles Golden. He said, we'll give you a radio show, Eric, your own show. I said, well, yeah, look, if I do a radio show, I've got to do it my way. You know, sound like uh, Sinatra. I said, well, what do you mean your way? I said, well, I don't really talk about football and sports. You know, I'll do that in other shows as a guest. If you really want to give me a show, I know I've got a lot of contacts from Still Alive, then Frank Sinatra, uh, Sammy Davis, Connie Francis, went for a whole Brenda Lee, uh, Paul McCartney, Elton John. I know a million people and the football world, you know, a million people in the football world, a sports world. I want to do a show, call it Making Memories. Mm-hmm. That's because I had a record which I promoted a few years back of Frankie Lane singing, we're making memories each time we kiss. Great idea of the show, show about memories. Well, I would have a guest, I might have a casual football guest on or a mm-hmm. sports guest, but just a guest, talk about play records. Yeah. And which I did. And then uh, Charles Golding left this company I'm talking about. And then the BBC phoned me, BBC Essex. Would I do it for them? I said, yeah, great. Uh, and I started, yeah, I love it. Because as, as we said off air, you and I, it's a great medium. Yeah, it's a media and it's, it's nice It's yeah. talking to people directly. And I like to do also a very integral part of my show, being successful, is I like phone calls. I like talking to the public. Get to sing your song. Bob, do you remember? Are you trying, I remember I did a competition once and a lot of old people yeah. phoned my show. And this poor, I, I played, I think, uh, Calamity Jane, a song right. uh, uh, Doris Day singing, all the upper stages coming right off the hill. The competition was. We'll crack away, crack we'll away. Crack away. Bubbler, can you name that singer? The movie was Calamity Jane and uh, Howard Kill was in it with this lady. She played Calamity Jane. Who am I talking about? Oh, it's a hard one, Eric. Now, probably Gladys from like Hazelmere or somewhere. About 103 she was. I said, well, I'll help you, Bubbler. I'll help you. Her first name is Doris. And her second name is Day. Oh, she said, could it be Judy Garland? (laughs) 
But I love those little things. Yeah, yeah. You know, great. The public are lovely, lovely. Um, and you, uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be absolutely frank about it. That show, which I know people in the Essex area loved, you became a victim of the BBC's last round of local radio cuts, where they got rid of people as talented as Danny Baker I know, Danny and yourself. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, they got. I couldn't believe it because I was egotistical, mm-hmm. and it was such a popular show. Because I believe, especially commercial radio, it's a great pound. They don't realise. Not for BBC, they don't worry about that side. No. But you know, the older people are living. Thank God for my sake, living much longer now. Their mortgages are paid. Their family living wherever they're living. They can spend. You know, spend money to spend. But it was they're not catered for. I play records as I say, my guest, Barry Greco. Uh, Victor Moan is still alive. Wow. We, I, I had on this last Sunday, and I show I did, I uh, won't mention the station, is that um, my guest was Dame Vera Lynn. Remember on Sunday? What a guest. Fantastic, yeah, fantastic. Her daughter, Virginia Lewis, was my secretary at Major Minor Records years ago. So, you know, but the, the, the older people love my show. I'm not cool. I'll play anything which is, I'm not blinkered. I'm not playing Amy Whitehouse or an Adele or, or an Ed Sheeran. If a good, see, for me, a good song, the record of the, I'm sure Danny Baker, mm-hmm. not more than you, you would appreciate mm-hmm. it too. A good song could have been written three days ago or 35 years ago or 45 years ago or two weeks ago. So you're going to. A good y- song a good song. You're going to keep up the radio? I hope so, yeah. Then you've gone back into sports in different ways and into the sport of boxing. Did you have much. Well, not so about... much boxing, no. No, okay. Michael McFerthor, who works for me and myself, yeah. and Kelly Maloney's idea. Right. Was because of what he's done, I say he, in the past tense, and become a lady, as Kelly Maloney, Frank mm-hmm. Maloney, but Kelly Maloney. We decided that to start an agency, because he was the best boxing promoter ever. Ever. That's a fact. I believe that. And as you said in your little interviews today, big interviews today, mm-hmm. I was quite a well-known sports agent. So we're going to do an agency starting specialising in women, women in sport, because they are ignored women in sport. How did you find out that Frank Maloney, now Kelly Maloney, had decided to make this huge change in, in her life? Well, I was quite shocked. And then one day, Michael McPherson, who works with me, Says to me, you got a, you got a Twitter or whatever you call these things, a text yeah. message from Frank Maloney or Kelly Maloney. I still get a bit, you know, we all do. It's all right. He said, um, "Can you call?" He said, "But it's must be a moody. It's you know somebody winding you up." I said, "No, I know Frank will." Was still saying Frank then. Yes, so of a few days after the, the Daily Mirror, with the Daily Mirror mm. yeah. the story yeah. from Beige. Um, so I, I thought, no, my instinct was no. That's definitely. Kelly Maloney. So I phoned the number he left on my sort of private shtick and I went, hello, so be a bit careful because here's some nutter. Mm-hmm. Hello. And right away, the first was, oh, Eric, thanks for calling me back. So I knew right away it was uh, Frank. Yeah. Or then Kelly by then. So he phoned me out of the blue, Eric, I need your help. Not help. I said, oh, you know, need, you know, got some ideas I want to talk to you about. Because he originally phoned me quite a few years back when he was going to become, try to run for Lord Mayor of London. You might remember that. I do remember it, yes. And he wanted you... me to be, he's always like me. Mm-hmm. He wants to be p- p- join him as Lord Mayor of London as the spokesman for Lord Mayor of London. Right. And he wants to make me Minister of Sport in London. 
the other kick or type thing. Well, I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure that uh, um, uh, whether or not um, Frank would have been a, a great mayor of London. I don't know. No. But it would be good fun if you'd been uh, a spokesman for the mayor. Well, the these idea is yeah. to make a bit of fun of it and do it properly. What it, what it, so, given you say you, you, you and your nephew are working together, Kelly Maloney and the rest of it, what, what, are, what are your plans for the near future? Well, we just also started with another couple of guys, Alan, Alan Love, ex-actor, was set up a West One Media production company. Right, we're going to make the TV, yeah? TV and movies. And, you know, anybody got any ideas to let us know? And, you know, we've got some money. We've got somebody who's quite prepared to give us money, money, money to invest in ideas. So that's all lined up. Now we're just looking for ideas for West One Media. We know that there's been uh, there's an awful lot of work being done in the background to make a a film about about Freddie Mercury and Queen. Do you know who's going to play Eric Hall? Well, Ben Chaplin, a guy called Ben Chaplin, yeah, who's who's quite a good actor. Yeah, he's and got funny, enough awards, certainly. He's got, he's got a few awards. And funny thing is, I mean, Groucho's Club in Dean Street in London, yeah, sort of quite a famous issue. Media watering media, hole, media, let's call media, it what it is. Water. Yeah, and I'm sitting there, and somebody says to me, "Harry, you know that movie, which they sort of know about in in the in the movie business they were. Mm-hmm. See that guy over there? Yeah, I was thank God he looked at him. He was quite a nice looking boy, man. He's playing you. He's I thought I've got to say hello to him now. I must go over to him. So I tapped him on the shoulder. Well, excuse me. And I said, excuse me. Right then. He was shocked. He went, hey, Eric. Oh. I said, yeah. Well, you know who I am. He said, of course I do. I said, I hope you're doing right. Don't forget this bubbler. And I said to him, I'm going to ask you the same question. So I'll ask you one quick question then. Cool. It's not going to be the movie anyway, just to not wind him up to get chatting. What do you say? I said to him, do you say bagels or bagels? He's going to say bagels in that yeah. If you're playing Eric Hall, you must say bagels. Because bagels is... Same question to you then. What do you say, bagels or bagels? Bagel. Bagel. No, yeah. bagel. I know. I know. No. Jewish people always say you've got to say bagel. Yeah, but of course... Well, we brought up for these... Bagels are like an Americanism, which is OK. No, I still go to the bagel shop run by Spanish people, of course, in Brick Lane. Oh, really? It's still really? there. Yeah, I go there all the time. Yeah, of course. Well, well, well maybe we'll I bump must into... take you one day then to just down the road from the Bethel Green Road and the very famous calf been there for over 100 years, yeah. Pelicius. And what's the speciality there, Eric? Well, anything. Yeah? Your pasta, schmasta, big you, breakfasts. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you'll well, enjoy it, you'll enjoy you're, it. Well, you're looking at me and you know that a cafe is not you're something not... I pass very easily, no, so no, no, absolutely. No, no. Well, when let's... I first met you, as I said to you said before, I've said to you some people are built, I've got to say this, you'll be annoyed when I say it, are built like a Greek. God, you'll be like a Greek restaurant. But looking at you now, you're built more like a chain of Greek restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> looking down the road ahead of you, what, 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 do we, what, do you hope, what do you hope for personally? Not for your clients, not for the people who see you as, you know, the, 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 the fantastic uh, uh, large-in-life personality you've been. What do you hope for, for yourself, Eric? Well, you see, uh, not a hard question to answer, not at all. I just hope to carry on grafting with, with this new company we set up. I just graft. I got, someone said to me, to kind of answer your question, Ish, Eric, you know, you're 60-odd years old, you've done this, and you work with Sinatra, Schmaft, whoever, you know, you've met millions, everybody knows you, they call you a legend, which I don't believe in. I like it, I like it, really. Is you know, when are you going to retire? And I said to him, well, why would I want to retire? Well, to do the things you've always wanted to do. I said, Bubbler, I've been doing the things I wanted to do from 13. If I retire, I'm not doing the things. I love drafting. I want to bring success. I said, this West One Media Company we set up with, with the making mm-hmm. movies and TV. And, and the, the thing with Kelly Maloney, I think it's very exciting. Eric and Kelly together, you know, managing women in sport. 
It's a great idea. So what I want to do is carry on grafting, be well, carry on grafting. And as, as I think uh, uh, Neil Ruddock said earlier, is to make the poor player, the poor person rich and the rich people richer. And final question, is what you're doing now and what you've done for the last 50 years, is that your idea of happiness and are you a happy man? Well, I'm monster happy, monster happy. I think it's nearly 60 years now I've been doing it for, but yeah, no, no, yeah, 50 odd years. Uh, of course I'm happy, I love it. I'm not a schmuck. That's why I won't get in touch a bit like we briefly were saying with Tim Sherwood, is that I'll only look after players who I want to look after. You know, there's no time for, or uh, I've made a few quid, I've lost them, I've made a few quid and lost more than a few quid, but I'm still grafting. And it ain't for the money got to live but I just enjoy grafting I like success somebody says to me Eric what's the best deal you've ever done I'll say the last one you've been listening to an archive edition of Talk Sports My Sporting Life with Danny Kelly thanks for listening and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts Acast and Spotify for more top talk sport content even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.